Hello, everyone, and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between all sorts of different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. everybody i'm brett stewart joining me on this fine evening david luzader how are you i am doing well i am i don't have anything witty to to say on this one uh i guess i'm just forgetting the fun things i want to say like i'm pretty forgetting this movie as if it was disappearing as fast as i want <laughs> yeah if you were forgetting something witty to say uh the movie might have been doing the same for a large part of Ooh. it uh there's some wittiness it's got some charm but nicole yeah, davis how are you i'm good i just finished watching this movie for the second time so i actually do remember what happens during it i watched it last week and had a similar problem to david in that it you know the next day it was pretty much just sort of falling out of my brain so i had to cram it back in again <laughs> that was my issue is that we had planned to record earlier and then my, my dog got sick so i had to take her to the vet and we rescheduled recording and, and um the first time the i watched now brett Ray update. Uh, she's good. She's okay. on doggy pain meds. So listeners are going to be like, you can't just mention the dog was sick. Yeah, she was super sick and we were worried about her, but she's she's doing well. So Ray is fine. Um, but I watched this before that and just straight up forgot the ending of the movie. <laughs> so I felt it was incumbent upon me to go back and rewatch it. So I did uh, rewatched it again this week. And uh, the movie was a Netflix roulette pick, meaning that we spin the wheel on Netflix and it pops something out. And that is what we watch. Um, it gives us a lot of weird movies. But before I give you more information about this movie, I want to give you next week's movie. It is a future classic pick. It has to be a film that has come out in the last decade so at this point 2009 and onward that we're about to lose 2009 we're going into the new year soon and uh it has to be something that you can argue is a future classic in some capacity it's my pick this time around and you know what guys december 20th can't come close enough so or can't come soon enough so we are going to uh refresh ourselves with star wars the last jedi yeah uh, <laughs> so nicole is that you i was gonna pick it absolutely 100% is the movie I thought you would pick, yes. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to slip like a Rogue One in there or something like that? No, you know better. No, because I do know Rogue better. Rogue One is not a future classic. That's right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think The Last Jedi is, so this will be a nice refresher for the audience as well. Be sure to follow along. It's on Netflix and Disney Plus by the time this comes out, which will give you the opportunity to brush up on the sequel trilogy before we go to the movies in December. But now, this week, Netflix Roulette, we watched Moonwalkers. It came out in 2015. After failing to locate the legendary Stanley Kubrick, an unstable CIA agent must instead team up with a seedy rock band manager to develop the biggest con of all time, staging the moon landing. Now, this is an this is a French film, correct? Even though it's all in English? I 
don't know. I think it it's, it, it smells like a co-production it's to a, me. Yeah, Wiki, Wikipedia does call it a French comedy film. Hmm. Which, yeah. I, that would mean it was funny. We're starting <laughs> off well prepared. I, like, I um, like how the word <laughs> comedy is what you have a problem with. <laughs> uh, it was, okay, it was filmed yeah, in France. French, I can believe. French, I can believe. It, it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it was shot in France, but yeah, it was it was filmed in France. Uh, but it, it is English. You're not going to need subtitles because, in fact, it stars Ron Perlman and Rupert Grint. Um, so first and foremost, Rupert Grint, man, where have you been? Uh, it seems like all three of those kiddos from Harry Potter kind of diverged and went off in totally different directions. And he's the one of the three I've seen the least of. And uh, it was kind of yeah, cool to see him. He's gotten the short end of the stick movie wise he's been in uh several movies since harry potter but they're all around somewhere in the five or six range on imdb yeah uh ratings wise yeah he's a little bit better with some tv roles uh yes yeah he's gotten some some decently meaty tv roles Yep, and then he was in an Ed Sheeran music. That was eight years ago. He was in the Ed Sheeran music video. This oh, is long boy. lost twin. I <laughs> gotta go sit somewhere and stare into the middle distance. Jeez. Well, he is. <laughs> he has landed a, a fairly significant role here next year on uh, Apple TV Plus or whatever they call their new streaming service on a show called Servant, which is about a young and troubled couple replaces their newborn baby with a lifelike doll after their child dies from health complications. That sounds horrifying. (laughs) But Rupert Grint's going to be there as well. But anyway, I was kind of thinking throughout this movie. Oh, wait, hold on. No, wait, before. Guess who's directing the first episode of that TV show that you just talked about? Who? Who? What? What? M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, sweet lord. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll have to watch it now. Uh, it I can see could, it. I don't know. I think he's on an upswing if he can just keep his ego in check a little. Yeah, we'll see. We will certainly see. Now, <laughs> is is the reason that Rupert Grint got the short end of the stick in part because is he really that good of an actor <laughs> because in this movie i didn't find him very compelling in any way and i don't know if that's because it's not a particularly well-written script but i just found his character just not no. particularly well acted no yeah well he, i mean i think what they, they cast these kids as child actors <laughs> i don't think that and I, i'm gonna say it might be controversial to people here but i don't think it is i don't think emma watson is a super great actor either uh, I think Daniel Radcliffe took some time to find his chops. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and I think she might even acknowledge cool that in part too, because she's moved on far from acting. You know, she's moved into more philanthropic roles and she, I think she's an ambassador to the UN or something like that. Um, she has a bunch of that stuff going on for her. So, but yeah, I don't seeing him here. He was such a gigantic part of my childhood. Like I was, you know, almost his age or a little bit, I was a little younger than him and, and I grew up with him and it was interesting to see him in this situation where he plays that down on his luck band manager and the band manager accidentally stumbles into needing to fake the moon landing for the U S government because he makes his buddy think, uh, or he, he tricks a CIA agent into thinking they're the agents of Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) So, uh, it's a fun concept, right? No, is it? I don't know. 
I think there's potential here to play with the conspiracy right. theory, but it's, I mean, you've got some good actors in here. You know, you've got Ron Perlman here. You've, it, it's, but it's, uh, you know, this is somebody's, this is somebody's project. You know, it's the same writer as director. So usually that means this is like a pet project of theirs that they want to see made and they're going to write it themselves and direct it themselves. And this director, I don't find particularly strong. I mean, the, the last feature this person directed was a live action adaptation of Hanna-Barbera's Wacky Races. So, you know, it says that it was written (laughs) by, by Dean Craig. Well, he's right. uh, he's the screenplay. The oh, director is okay. the story by credit. Ah, gotcha. So, okay. So, yeah, it's it's a concept that could be fun. Uh, sort of. I'm just sort of reiterating what Nicole's saying here with a more competent <laughs> hand at the wheel. It it's just it's missing. It the the people think that the premise is funny enough, and I think it's kind of missing what it like needs to actually be funny. I think part of that is that what's funny about the conspiracy theory is the absurdity around how folks have tried to debunk it over the years and how there's some people that are, that so aggressively believe that this was indeed faked and that you have all these things floating around it. And instead of playing with that, it's mostly just drug jokes and, surprising violence (laughs) um it doesn't really play with with the conspiracy theory i did not expect this movie to be quite as violent as it was no did not i was very surprised when uh you know ron perlman goes into the the bathroom and comes across these guys i don't know doing a drug deal or something maybe and they're selling uh, pot because he he steps on their pot so saying pot or hash or something and um you know, he ends up beating the snot out of these bikers and there are like teeth clanking bloodily into the urinal as he's smashing this guy's face. <laughs> like one by one over the course of like five yeah. repeated smashes. I mean, there's a shot in this movie. Looking at the bloody teeth. Right. And there's a shot in this movie where Ron Perlman pulls out a sawed off shotgun and just nails yeah. a dude in the face and his head. His yeah. his head doesn't even fall off. Half the head disintegrates. Just, it just it disappears. But yeah. yet, but yet, when Ron Perlman is about to engage a man in a a fight, axe versus knife, the camera doesn't show you any of it. They just cut. To, you hear it. Yeah, bummer sort there. Of, and then watch Ron Perlman walk down the hallway, having presumably, I guess, won the fight. Oh, he won. Ron well, Perlman yeah, always wins so. the fight. Uh, but yeah, isn't, isn't it kind of alarming that Nicole called it out in our in our chat earlier that Ron Perlman was 65 when he filmed this, and he is still terrifying. <laughs> His punches are so slow; it's like a bulldozer. It just it is so intense. And uh, watching him fight is is kind of one of the more fun parts of this movie for me because it's so absurd and he's so just big and and gargantuan. But yeah. yeah. Although they found a Crazy. lot of guys bigger than him to be in this movie. There's several shots where he's standing next to these other men and they're like good four or five inches taller than he is. And I'm like, 
is is he shorter than I think he is? You know, I had to go look it up and he's supposedly he's six feet tall. So I, you know, I think he's starting to maybe shrink a little bit as people do <laughs> in their older age. <laughs> well, well, we will find out because he's going to be battling uh, in 2020, even larger villains than he is because apparently he's starring. And I did not know this in the upcoming adaptation of the video game monster hunter. Which, if you're not familiar, is people fighting monsters that are literally like Godzilla-sized. So that's that's got that better not. My brain broke. <laughs> it's gonna be. To it's being directed it. by the guy that made the Resident Evil movies and Mortal Kombat. No, it's gonna be <sighs> terrible. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I I actually do find him f- kind of fun in this movie, even though he seems to be sleepwalking through half of it. Yeah, yeah he seems very tired. <laughs> That was just my like, I get the feeling this is a movie that he took. It's like, oh, I can go to France for two months? Okay. <laughs> right. It's like, hey, do you want to go get drunk in France and we'll pay you some money? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> the wouldn't tired Ron Perlman with Guillermo del Toro still have been a better movie than the David Arbor one? I would totally watch like a documentary that just follows Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro around France for several weeks. Oh, sure. <laughs> if we're not getting Hellboy 3, I'll just take like them doing Parts Unknown together. I don't care. I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah. Um, oh, Could you imagine Ron? I want to. Oh, I'm, I'm pitching this right now. Like Ron <laughs> Perlman trying to do like relaxing things or like retired people things like Ron Perlman <laughs> learning how to make pasta in Italy. So, you can't tell me you wouldn't watch that. You're right. Like Ron Perlman <laughs> learning how to boogie board. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> make this show <laughs> um Roman tries to knit <laughs> i'd love it i would love it uh yeah. but but i do i do think that he has some of the the better parts of this movie because i do think i don't want people to necessarily think that at least for me i completely hated it i think it has some of its fun moments i think some yeah. of the parody of the 60s albeit a little intense is is funny oh. and i enjoy the the oddball director that they come and find in this artist commune um, i love him so much he's, he's my favorite part of the movie yeah he's pretty great it's it, it's one of those things like you have to go look at uh the, like the producers and it's like yes give us like funny director great but you totally didn't use him enough or correctly towards the end of the movie. Right. But he has some of the best moments, you know? So what happens? And, and first of all, I have a question about this that I will pose to you guys now. Um, Ron Perlman sent by the CIA to go to Britain yeah. and, uh, and find uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, agent so they can hire him to do this in a week because they need this to coincide with Apollo 11 should Apollo 11 fail. And, when he goes into the office of this agent, it turns out that Rupert Grint's character is there instead, Johnny, because he was recently trying to get his cousin, who is the agent, to give him money, and it didn't work out. The agent runs out of the room, and there Johnny is when the CIA agent comes in. And of course, he impersonates his cousin and is given a whole lot of money to say that uh, I'm going to bring you Stanley Kubrick. And what then happens is he brings his buddy along, uh, played by, what's this guy's name? Robert Sheehan. Robert Sheehan. Sheehan. So he comes along and impersonates and, and impersonates Kubrick to uh, 
convince Ron Perlman's character that they will indeed make this movie in seven days. Of course, they go off and they spend the money instead. Now, they don't spend all of it. Hold up. Because because fake Stanley Kubrick does not convince him we'll make this movie. He's like, no, that's insane. Robert Sheehan gets so into the character that... He tells him this is against my artistic beliefs before Rupert Grint's character has to remind him that this is all fake. Right. Although that's totally what Stanley Kubrick would have actually done. Yes. Yeah. He was not a man that had any love for the United States government or military as evidenced by, I don't know, Dr. Strangelove. Does that give you any (laughs) clues as to how he feels about the U.S. military? Right, right. But they do convince Ron Perlman's character, Kidman, uh, to give them the money, which they go and spend some of. Tom Kidman. Tom Kidman. Tom Kidman. For for listeners, it's what? What do you call it? An amalgam or what are they called? Portmanteau. No way. A portmanteau is when you push two words together to create a new word, right? Right. An amalgam. But I mean, it's it's, it's a mashup name. Uh, okay. You know, it's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman who were in Kubrick's movie Eyes Wide Shut together, which was okay. his last movie, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, but Kidman gives oh, them this money, and uh, immediately, of course, the local gang stops by, who Johnny owes money and takes all of the money for themselves. So, here's my question: Pretty early on. They get together with Kidman again, and they say, hey, we'll help you get your money back, and we'll help you get this movie made. Just don't kill us, because he comes and finds them. But then he goes and helps them get the money. At this point, why wouldn't they just take the money and go back to the agent, who he now knows who the real agent is, and just hire Stanley Kubrick? Like, why? Why do they have to go to the artist commune if they already have the money again? Because I said this in the Slack earlier, everybody in this movie is an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, that also explains why, say, the U.S. government waits until, like, literally two weeks before before the launch of Apollo to try (laughs) to arrange this. Right. Uh, but but it does blow my mind because like they could just take this money back to the agent and then granted that would rely on the director actually taking the job, which it sounds like he might not have. But also, I guess Kidman is also kind of an idiot because then he decides to just shack up with the art commune and make this movie with them. And, and then start doing their drugs. To be fair, he does like get... M- purpose yeah he, he does kind of get a uh, uh some extra drugs slipped into his system by uh robert shayan's character yeah he's trying to take a bong hit of weed and ends up taking opium as well in, Which, in the bargain uh, to prove i had a dime to, <laughs> to prove that that marijuana doesn't have an impact on him like weird flex but okay bro yeah. i mean so bizarre uh but they end up Shacking up with this art commune and trying to make this movie. And there's this director that we're talking about. It is this pot-bellied director that's always wearing, like, an open shirt uh, and, like, underwear. Open open tighty whities yeah. Right. And he is showing, when they first introduce him, his experimental art film that took him three years to make called Bounce, which I is just a fab man bouncing on a, a no, no, trampoline. Two. Oh, there's two of them. Two. Okay. Wait, gentlemen, bouncing on a trampoline with uh, no or almost no clothes on. Yeah, they, they got underwear. underwear. And it's, it's black and white. And 
There's oh, there's chickens. Don't forget the chickens. There's chickens too. <laughs> Right. And and they end up hiring this guy. And what's so funny to me about his character is that he just doesn't get a grasp on what's going on at any point because he keeps trying to just push bizarre artistic visions into it, such as having floating, floating jellyfish in space. Or uh, he spends the entire evening after he gets hired creating set designs for Ron Perlman's character and comes back with these ridiculous looking aliens. And well... Well, because they, they set up there's like their cover story is that they're making a space rock opera. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So let's talk about that. That is Rupert Grint is a band manager, uh, quote unquote. Uh, and by that, I mean, he helps some of his friends book gigs at local pubs where they immediately get thrown out. Yeah. Yeah. The movie starts with this band and the band, you know, keeps recurring here and there. And it's it's weird that. Uh, Rupert Grant plays Johnny. So Johnny's, it's weird that Johnny's primary job is a distraction in this movie that feels totally unnecessary to the plot in any way. <laughs> right. You know, he could be a loser from any job and have done this. You know, he's just in debt for some other reason and needs the money. Yeah. And we have the, the unfunny band leader whose whole thing is like, <sighs> I touch myself on stage. That's funny that I touch myself on stage. Oh, everyone <sighs> loves it, right? I mean, he this, this band leader looks like a caricature of Robert Plant. Like, he definitely saw Robert Plant, because this takes place in, what, 69 is when we landed on the moon, or 68? Mm-hmm. 69. Yeah. Okay. We went to the Nine. moon in 1969. Okay. Uh, 69 then. He looks like he had just seen Robert Plant, but couldn't really afford to look quite as good as Robert Plant. So he just kind of stole his grandmother's clothing, uh, clothing and tried to put the look together by himself. And uh, he's the most obtuse, frustrating character in the whole movie to me. I can't stand him. I don't like the whole subplot of the band. I don't find it funny. I find them annoying. He's pretty awful. Yeah. But they show so, up for some reason, and we have to then pretend it's a space rock opera, so no one knows that we're faking the moon landing. Right. That that's the it's, it's a cover story that you know Johnny pulls out of his butt at the last minute, like almost right before they film, just in case people who aren't related to the project pop by. Right. So. Now, when they're making this, and they shockingly have access to a, a pretty large stage uh like an indoor sound stage to to create this effect because they get pretty darn close a hanger yeah like they it's like a hanger a right hanger. but they get pretty darn close to actually pulling this off before it unravels and and Do david they? put in our docket you know like yeah yeah they could have pulled it <laughs> if off they, if the if the lead you know actor wasn't completely drugged out and doing horrible things to the inside of his spacesuit while they're shooting. But his penis was talking to him. It was whispering to him. It was whispering to him. Uh, He's telling you parents are cousins, but I don't think they are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But why not surprise? He's doing doing a good job as Leon. I want to give him credit. You know, there's some really good performances here. Robert Sheehan as... The constantly stoned Leon is one of them. And, you know, Ron Perlman's doing a really good job. And it's Tom. I want to make sure I get Tom. Oof. Odenaire, uh, who's playing the director Renatus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, those guys are those are all doing an excellent job. Yeah, Robert Robert Sheehan was also on uh, Umbrella Academy as Klaus and did a, was a really great character there. Does make me worried that he can he will play nothing but drug addicts for the rest of his career. <laughs> Uh, but he's really great. I was I was excited to see him in this movie. A little bit bummed he was playing kind of a similar character, but he was probably the only one that really made me laugh. So, yeah, yeah he is fun so in the movie. Daffy and optimistic. Yeah, yeah. But I I remember watching this movie and just thinking to myself that almost all of the problems of the movie could just be solved if his character doesn't get high. Like that's the movie. But- <laughs> no, no, no. Most of this movie's problems can get solved if Rupert Grint's character is not an idiot. Because <laughs> that's the inciting incident, is that he's dumb. But but if he hadn't gotten so yeah. high at the end of this movie, when they're walking in their cheap-looking spacesuits, which, as David, you put in our docket, why not supply these people with actual spacesuits and an actual replica of the lunar module if they're going to try to make this movie, which they oh, don't. They I just expect that. them to go do it. I thought that's what they had. I thought that's that the government communications guy brought like the actual spacesuits for oh, them to did wear. He? Did he? I, they look really cheap. <laughs> Maybe it's just the production value oh, of the movie. I, I think it's the production. Yeah, I think it's the production value of this movie, not oh, the movie they're making within the movie. Fair I think enough. they couldn't afford to make them look exactly like the NASA spacesuits. But I think I thought they came up with pretty good facsimiles. All right. It certainly would have been good enough on the quality of picture that they had from Apollo. It was only like 10 frames per second television quality shooting. So, well, they have a a scene where all the all the folks back home in America are watching live as they are taping this film to see if it'll work to be able to broadcast it to millions should the Apollo 11 not land. And it looks like reasonably good until you realize that they just have. British accents and sound like 20 year old kids and start getting, I don't even know how to describe the scene. Like they start jumping around high. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then he can't, he can't stick the, uh, the, the flag in the soil either and completely fails to do so. So, but they could have pulled it off. I think they were kind of close. Yeah, kinda. I, I mean, sure. In, theory. in in the <laughs> in the realm of this universe where everybody's dumb, uh, yeah, they would have pulled it off. Like they would, people would have believed them. Though, though, I would, I would believe though that uh, they'd run into issues fifty years down the road when everyone is analyzing the shadows, because I assume that they probably didn't get the shadows scientifically accurate inside their makeshift art commune hangar. So well, no. people are and, uh, so desperate to believe that we land on the moon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know people are crazy. Wake up sheeple. Um, <laughs> but there's also like, there's a definitely a point where you can see the crew in the background, lifting them up and doing the ropes and pulleys. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely right. can. Now, now Nicole ahead of this, recording you went and did a deep dive to my understanding in moon oh, landing boy. conspiracies i did so enlighten did. us because you said it's pretty close to the most popular moon landing <laughs> conspiracies why don't you kind of give us the lowdown of what that is all right well it was you know this was sort of it's fundamental to the premise of the movie so it's just like well okay so what exactly does this conspiracy say and who's saying it 
And I actually kind of went off on a side trail thinking I was watching a documentary about the conspiracy or a con- like a, a, a conspiracy theory person's documentary about the fake moon landing. It's something called Operation Loon because it's a French movie. And that should be your first clue that it's not 100% an actual documentary. And it's like a, it it doesn't tip its hand right away that it's a mockumentary. You know, it's mm. just, it looks like a really earnest movie about how NASA faked the moon landings. And then slowly they add more and more clues that this is, that this is crazy cakes. And, you know, this is, silliness and people will believe anything if it's cut together and edited properly to make it seem plausible but you know when they finally when they bring in an expert named jack torrance you're just like oh okay i see what you're doing here um but that was a complete sidetrack i don't know that i'd recommend watching it um but it's good it's a good example of how people can be led astray by clever editing. Um, but anyway, so I went down this rabbit hole about the whole moon landing Stanley Kubrick conspiracy. And what I came up with this was this, okay, strap yourselves in here. Okay. <laughs> so the U S history lesson time, U S was primed for skepticism about everything after Watergate and Vietnam. Everybody, we got very cynical Conspiracy theories of all kinds really took off in the 70s. Trust in the United States government was going down. So the the moon landing conspiracy might not have originated here, but it was distilled into a really easily distributed form by a man named William Casing, who wrote a book titled, We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 Billion Swindle. Uh, it was self-published. The company who'd planned to publish it said it wasn't up to standard. Um, And according to William Casing's theory, the rocket, the Apollo rocket took off and went into low Earth orbit, but without the astronauts on board, it was controlled remotely. The astronauts were spirited off to the Nevada desert where they faked the moon landing footage. And variations on this theory uh, will say, oh, well, yes, the U.S. eventually went to the moon, but the first landing was faked. So we could say we beat the Soviets. And it's said that Kubrick was involved because of his convincing lunar sequences from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, Although that movie does get the movement on the moon wrong. And, you know, he had consulted with NASA before making the movie, not the other way around. You know, he consulted with them so that he could get it more accurate. It's not they didn't get him in to make it look more believable. Um, And like I said, you know, he never would have made this movie for the U.S. government anyway. He's clearly utterly cynical about the United States, particularly the military, Sea Paths of Glory, Dr. Strangelove, etc., etc. So for the record, um, (laughs) I went in at all the debunking sites as well. Uh, For the record, if something was in low Earth orbit, it would have been easily visible by a lot of, you know, amateur astronomers seeing that go by. Um, but for the record, the shadows on the moon are nearly parallel because of the distance from the sun, uh, where they do have multiple light sources. It's because there were multiple light sources of the moon, including the sun, the lander, the moon's own reflective surface, which is why you can see stuff in the shadows, just like you can see things in outdoor shadows during the day on Earth. 
Uh, there were no visible stars because any exposure long enough to show starlight would have overexposed everything else. The flag looked wavy because it was stiff fabric and it was crumpled. Any movement you see in it was because there was no air resistance to slow it down after it got planted in jiggly fashion. Uh, so they had to wait for the fabric friction to actually slow it down in and of itself. And, you know, finally, the biggest evidence is just like 40,000 plus people would have had to be in on it. Every contractor, everybody down at NASA, everybody in Houston, you know, a ton of amateur astronomers, the people who could, who can, you know, bounce lasers off the reflectors that are up on the moon now. Um, they can all tell you that, yeah, we went. So, you know, <laughs> get a hold of yourselves guys uh-huh, put your sure. energies into something more productive yeah whatever <laughs> i'm just gonna go ahead and readjust my tinfoil hat and continue <laughs> believing the truth there um, you go. and you all people like conspiracy theories because it makes them feel smart you know true. right i know something very few other people know kim trails right. uh no first of all thank you for that that's incredibly helpful and i think uh is it? I hope so. No, it, it genuinely <laughs> is. Uh, because I just wish I had gotten more of that zaniness from this movie. I wish I had gotten a flash forward of the people that were trying to debunk whatever footage they might have shot, should it have ended up being footage that was being used in this oh, movie's yeah. universe. Like, there's there's fun things that could have been done, and the movie felt lazy in that regard, because there's a lot of sequences where it's just like, and Nicole, you put this in our docket, oh, goddammit, not another white rabbit and fortunate son. <laughs> it's just a parody movie about the 60s. And, uh, yeah, it's like, do I need a 10-minute long montage of an art commune dancing the white rabbit? I, no. Oh, why? When White Rabbit started, I mentally checked out so hard. It's like, I have seen this scene a hundred times in a hundred different movies. Thanks, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't... Whenever the, like, Jefferson Airplane turns on and it's just like, okay, I've seen this. You're right. And I feel like the movie's lazy in that regard. I feel like there's too many scenes when they get to this commune in particular that are just wasted on them wandering around, doing stupid things, doing drugs. And it's not as interesting as the movie could have been. Now, David, you put in our docket, is the ending supposed to imply that they may have used the footage they filmed? What do you, what do you mean by that? I felt like when it was like, is that us? It's like, no, they actually did it. Which, by the way, the, the part when it's like, how confident are we that they're going to make it? 70-30. Oh, 70% sure they're going to make it? No. Okay, yeah. No, th- <laughs> The government was so unsure of something that they gave it a 30%. I'm just, you know, okay, I can't. I know I have to suspend disbelief, but I can only so far for this movie. And it didn't go far. I mean, Apollo 10 was a dry run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that all to say, like, there's just something about something, a line at the end. And I can't remember it now, because like I said, this movie has disappeared out of my brain. Didn't you watch this like two hours ago? Exactly. It basically... (laughs) It basically just felt where it was like, wait, no, is that them on the moon? Or is that us? I (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, cue four minutes of people watching the moon landing. And (laughs) I don't know what that end sequence was supposed to be, but I actually just turned off my TV. (laughs) Yeah, the end sequence was like a a 10-minute montage of people celebrating the moon landing. Yeah. I think what happened... I'm not 100% sure because there's not a lot about 
making of this movie that I could find. Um, but I think when they were, you know, as the, you know, quote unquote actors are on the set, um, doing the, the for real shooting of the footage of them supposedly landing on the moon, they cut to these black and white monitors that the government guys are looking at to make sure the footage is okay. And I think that some of that footage is the actual footage from the moon. Mm. I did think so. Yeah. To sort of confuse the issue. But then two questions. Um, First of all, Nicole, to backtrack a bit, you mentioned that in order for this to actually be this large of a conspiracy, you'd need tens of thousands of people involved in it. Doesn't that make the quote in the movie even stupider when Kidman asks them, how are we going to keep this a secret? To which they respond, we'll do what the Egyptians did. Bury the architects inside the pyramid. Yeah. We'll bury the people inside the moon. It all makes sense, Brett. (laughs) And then two, while they are filming their own fake moon landing one day before the real moon landing, how did they know what? what uh, Armstrong was supposed to say yes. because he, so like, like Shahan like gets down on the fake moon and says like one small step. I'm a small man. And there's a step. And like, he can't get his way through the quote. And how and, would they know? And also Armstrong messed up, or I guess like the quote didn't quite come through clearly. I think you should say like one small step for a man a giant leap for mankind. So the quote that he was saying was also incorrect. They did somehow magically know if no, of course they knew NASA would have had that scripted to the syllable. There is no way they would have let the astronaut say something impromptu from the surface of the Holy moon shit. from the first right. time. He's, he's, he's coming down. He's like, free Hong Kong, revolution of our times. Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> didn't kill himself. Like Blizzard turns off the stream. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, it just seemed like lazy filmmaking to me. I, I mean, it's, it's a funny line, though. If you can suspend this belief, I suppose it's a pretty funny line. Uh, moving. It's. it's it, it could be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Let's talk about Kidman as a character. Kidman, played by Ron Perlman, is a Vietnam vet that um, is, you know, just come back from the war. He's under the impression that he is able to now leave, leave the service when they're trying to rope him into this task. No, get, get leave from the service. Get so leave. get like a few months off to right. recuperate. And throughout the movie, from beginning to end, we're seeing these PTSD hallucinations where he just kind of goes like catatonic and stares into space and sees really horrific CGI animations of both his, his fellow soldiers and the Vietnamese, like their bodies are like falling apart and there's like worms coming out of their mouths and like, they're all closing in upon him and it's very frightening. And I kind of felt like it was a, a little problematic in the oversimplification of what PTSD is for for a vet. And I realize it's a comedy, but it almost seemed kitschy to just be like, he sees dead people because of his PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's oversimplified. It's, you know, vastly more complicated than that. And yeah, I mean, everybody is different. Anybody, everybody who suffers a trauma reacts to it differently. 
but you know the fact that the ptsd is pretty much chalked up to like this this one symptom and then is magically healed with the power of an acid trip if you notice that after the like during the acid trip he like goes up to the hallucinations he's been seeing and he like hugs them and embraces them and i guess feels like he gets forgiven or something from them and like after that ass trip he's perfectly fine doesn't have any more hallucinations and no hands headache. don't shake anymore. so yeah if you, if you want to see a, a movie that actually i think or a show that actually handles it fairly well uh robert sheehan is in umbrella academy and at one point his character participates in the vietnam war i won't explain how or why that sentence just has to make sense as it does and when he comes back does actually have to deal with the trauma of it and um it's rough oh wow all right i've been meaning to watch that i'll have to get around to it uh i i did think though that when these visions started showing up for him and you saw like you, you saw vietnamese people showing up in these you know conical hats I was like, oh, no, please don't be racist. Please don't be racist. Because I was so worried that it was just going to get racist. Um, Never got racist. I think it was just insensitive. Yeah, no one talks. It's just kind of insensitive to vets, I think. Um, It's insensitive to most people, I feel like. (laughs) Because the movie is like heavily insulting to British people in the beginning in that weird caricature of Winston Churchill. I guess I don't know who else that guy in the plane was oh, supposed to be. Oh, I hated that whole mo- sequence. Yeah, this is a talkative dude with a uh, cigar in hand that spills coffee all over Ron Perlman's uh, documents, which then forces him to not be able to see the real Stanley Kubrick because what Stanley Kubrick looks like right because the the photo has coffee on it now. Yeah, uh, it's 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 not tactful. In any way. And I think that's the word I've been looking for. Is that it's all, not subtle in any way. No. And no. all the jokes feel like they're playing for cheap laughs on drugs and, and violence. And and the violence is shocking. And I I guess there's a place for it in the weird, like, Guy Ritchie fantasy this movie turns into at the very end. Like, first of all, how Guy Ritchie is the yeah. end of this movie? Like, <laughs> I was reading an article. It's... <laughs> no go ahead oh, i was just gonna say like on, on, the av club had a piece on this on this movie where they talked about how sure enough a generation has now come up with filmmakers whose aspirations were to be like guy Ritchie, <laughs> and that's kind of who made this movie because the end of this movie just turns into a bad guy Ritchie movie the yes. ending of this movie reminded me of a much much better movie uh from t- two years before this one by Sion Sono called Why Don't You Play in Hell that has to do with the filming of another movie and things going terribly, terribly wrong at the end and there being uh, gunshots and death and other things. Um, And I would definitely recommend, you know, if you want to watch a movie, uh, go find that one instead of this one. It's called Why Don't You Play in Hell. There's a Excellent. lot of movies I would recommend people watch instead of this one. <laughs> well, I think that is the perfect way to wrap this discussion up then. I, I'll close with this. Was there anything that we all enjoyed about the movie? Uh, uh, 
director Renatus. Yeah, yes. we all liked. liked Wonderful. Him. Um, the I don't know. All the Kubrick references were. I think they were. Just, it's just trying too hard. You know. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot you of know, them. Like we the didn't table, talk quite much about those. Painting on the wall from Clockwork Orange and a lot of Tom Clockwork Orange. Kitchen. Yeah, a lot of Clockwork yeah. Orange imagery. I mean, I, I think so. we all generally liked Robert Sheehan's character. Yeah, Leon yes, is Leon. fun. And even though he's sleepwalking through it, I do have an affection for Ron Perlman, no matter what he does. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my God. There's a movie where he's beauty. He's Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Why haven't I oh, seen no, this? Oh, no, that's not. No. It's a what? TV series. It's a TV show, my friend. It's a 50. He won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a TV Series for that. What? All right. Yeah. I have a rabbit no, hole to good. go down to. Usually I'm then, the one who at the end of the show is like, did you guys know this weird, obscure thing? <laughs> and you're finding old 1990s TV shows. Yeah, apparently. Linda Hamilton. Man. Oh, yeah. No, Linda, late 80s. Yeah, it's late 80s. Linda, so we're talking like Linda uh, Hamilton uh, Terminator? Yeah. I'm, I gotta see this now. All righty. You don't. <laughs> You don't have to, <laughs> but yeah, but I will I will also good. say that that bless Ron Perlman for being a a consummate professional and showing up and getting this done along with like thirty seven other movies that he made that year because as Nicole pointed out right. I did not realize that man works. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, he's got like two hundred fifty five credits on IMDb. I mean, some of them are voice work, oh, some he, of yeah, them are like one shot TV episodes. Yeah, but it's two hundred fifty five credits since 1979 but like 19 of those are just from this year so far so. yeah he is a very hard-working guy and he does a lot of uh a lot more voice stuff than you think you have heard him and you have heard his voice and things and he will always be for me uh sort of the perfect slade wilson in the teen titans series ah. now now should you want to see ron perlman uh, the day before this episode comes out, so this will now be in theaters when you're listening to this, there is a movie adaptation of Go Fish, which I just now learned about, starring okay. Ron Perlman, Mark Hamill, and I, Justine. Are they fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, good, one I found out that uh, Robert Sheehan and Ron Perlman have been in a movie together before. Uh, they were in Season of the Witch with Nicolas Cage. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Two very different responses there. All righty. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Uh, Moonwalkers. It sounds like there is a, a, a thumbs down all across the board here, albeit I don't yeah. think it was quite as unbearable as some Netflix roulette movies. This is kind of what I expect yeah. from Netflix roulette. I expect it to be independent projects with actors i don't really expect showing up in them and and this is a par for the course for me if i was to just turn something random and stupid on on netflix so yeah this is definitely like whoever has the distribution rights to this is like okay yeah we'll give you spider-man and the spider-verse but you also have to take this movie (laughs) (laughs) That could well be it. Nice. All righty. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Nicole, where can people find you online? I look over our Facebook page at 
facebook.com slash movie go round podcast you can contact us there ask questions leave feedback and whatnot and i keep a uh, letterboxd page uh, under nicole underscore davis i've got a list of every single one of the movies that we've covered and they come in a nice handy block list of five across so it actually fits our format quite nicely you can look down a column and see every movie we've done in a particular category um and uh brett you take care of our main website which is tiltingwindmillstudios.com slash mgr is that correct that is correct. And we actually have a bunch of new content coming up there at the end of November. So this is coming right around the time that a new podcast is going to pop up there, along with a bunch of new articles. I do want to give a shout out to A Gaming Life Part 2, which is on that website along with us. It is a column written by Dominic Chikoki, who has previously been on our shows. And um, he does deep dives into video games. Uh, they're retrospective in t- at times. They are uh, incredibly, incredibly well-written, and it's a really fun time. So if you're at all into gaming and you think that you might be the kind of person to go see Ron Perlman in Monster Hunter, uh, I'm sorry, but you can then console yourself by reading Don- Dominic's writing online on our site, which is really great. Uh, but David, where can people find you online? People can find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. You can also... Find me on the Brokebot Mountain podcast, which is a show I do with Phil Rude. And I am also uh, on America's Next Top Podcaster Season 2. When this episode is out, I, as far as I can say, am still in the show. So listen and see how I'm doing. Very, very good. Definitely check that out. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. That's Brett with two T's and Stewart with a W. We'll see you next week when we go to a galaxy far, far away to visit The Last Jedi, again, available on Disney Plus or Netflix around the time this comes out. Be sure to follow along. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.